Hello, and welcome to today's episode of the Hockey Assist of Basketball Podcast. Here, we have conversations that give basketball fans deeper perspective on the game by connecting what's happening on the court to the sport at large. My name is Nolan Cope, and here, as always, is my co-host, Riley Gaucher. What up, Mr. Cope? How are we doing? You know, life is good. In a in life is good in our in our shared fantasy basketball league. Uh, I I won last week to move myself up into third place, even though I'm still very much looking upwards at your team, Riley. Undefeated so far. Tell me what it's like. It's uh, it feels very good. It feels very good. I um, I had a scare uh, at the the start of last week because August's our friend August's team is a. Uh, it's it's okay, you know, and he was he was beating me pretty handily, but I, I came back slowly and steadily, and I'm I'm just excited to see how long this unbeaten run run can last because I, I as we were just talking about I did put a good deal of my my assets into the basketball team in this three sport uh, fantasy league that we're in, and so if I didn't win, it was going to be a very bad bad news um, going going forward. So I'm 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 hopeful, you know, I have Paul George out this week with uh you know covid protocols so we'll see if i can weather that storm but uh yeah i'm I'm feeling feeling very good i love to hear it man i love to hear it yeah we uh are are, we're only in three fantasy basketball leagues together or two fantasy basketball leagues so this is obviously not a fantasy basketball podcast but we we do enjoy getting to experience that side of of basketball but today, we have some real NBA things to talk about. A little bit later on, we're going to have my cousin Zach Hernandez with us. But first, we have found an original name for this first opening section where we discuss some things going on in the league that we hope will embody the spirit of the podcast a little bit more. So welcome to the first ever segment of the shoot around. We're gonna to try to move through it quickly. We're gonna to try to get through the points that we need to get through before getting on to the main event. So- well, And I, I would describe this as we were gonna shoot around the NBA, shoot around the league to uh, you know find different things to talk about. Chef's just so, kiss. Yeah, just to make that very clear for anyone who doesn't do well with metaphor or uh, you know puns, bam. I'm gonna explain all the humor right there for you. I love it, I appreciate it. So Riley, starting us off here, we would be remiss if we did not talk about the league's hottest team. So Riley, are the Utah Jazz for real? I think yes, I think yes. Um, I, I was able to watch them absolutely destroy the Golden State Warriors. In, in a game earlier this week. We'll, we'll get to the other side of that equation a little bit later on in this podcast. But 
I think the Jazz are for real. I think they've got a really good balance of, you know, guys with superstar potential, guys with experience, guys who are a little bit younger. They have an excellent coach in Quinn Snyder. And, uh, you know, the last couple of years, I think they've been a team that has maybe not reached their ceiling um, in terms of, you know, looking at the talent on the roster and all the, the peripherals around them um, in the playoffs. But I, I truly believe that with Mike Conley looking healthy again, with, you know, Boyan Bogdanovich not even playing um, as, as the, the scorer that I think I at least know him to be. Now, I, I think right now they look really, really good. And I think they can they can go far. I don't know if they can challenge the Lakers, but I, I expect them to make to make noise. How do you feel? Yeah, they have been fun to watch. And they've been fun to watch for a lot of reasons. Like you said, it is great to see Mike Conley healthy again, right? And this team, when it's, when it's firing all, on all cylinders, of course, it is anchored by its defensive identity centered around the premier rim protector in the whole league, Rudy Gobert. But what makes the team truly fun and what makes them different right now in their eight-game winning streak compared to beginning the beginning of the season is Donovan Mitchell remembering that he is a superstar, right? The same. This is the same guy who was averaging 50 points per game in their first round uh, loss to the Nuggets in the bubble, right? And he's, he's coming back with a vengeance, and it's been really fun to uh, watch him play. And so something that I did with my mind mentally uh, was – I was, I was watching Donovan Mitchell this week, and it reminded me of the early career of one Damian Lillard. Now, before anyone jumps out at me and says, whoa, 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 are you uh, crazy? I'm going to push back on that because I looked it up. I compared uh, Donovan Mitchell's statistics through his first four seasons in the league so far and Damian Lillard's first four seasons in the league. And their the heat stats, in the stats. And stats. And their stats are virtually identical. Donovan Mitchell has a one-point advantage in points per game, uh, an advantage in uh, – or they're dead in a dead heat in effective field goal percentage. And they, they just seem like two – small market, high volume guys. And so if Donovan Mitchell continues to sort of trend along this Dame Lillard heroism, but actually has a team that is built a little bit more uh, sensically around him than what Portland has been able to put around Dame at times, then we've seen the Blazers beat their ceiling is a four seed conference finals. Is the ceiling for this jazz higher? It, it, it very well might be, you know, like you said, they, they have a legitimate rim protector, which is something that the, uh, the Portland trailblazers have really struggled with in the last couple of years. Um, and I just think there's a little bit more competency in the fringe of the roster, right? Like Royce O'Neal is a, he's a good player. They've got some defenders on that team. Joe Ingles is a, is a fantastic guy to watch. And he also just feels like he does winning things all the time. Um, George, George's Yang is, uh, you know, been really, really good for them. Uh, Jordan Clarkson out of nowhere, out of Cleveland, you know, rescuing him from that situation is just another testament to the power of a, a good organization, you know, good coaching to, to bring out the best in guys. Uh, you know, one thing that I think is interesting to see is that a lot of the last couple of years, 
the Jazz have had really poor early seasons in terms of, you know, record and, and winning whatnot. And uh, a guy that I follow on Twitter, Matt Moore, who's a you know, reporter for the Action Network and covers the uh, Denver Nuggets very well, but, but talks about the whole league. You know, something that he, he mentions a lot is that a lot of the time we underestimate the Jazz because they would start off poorly because they have really, really road heavy and very tough early season schedules. I'm not sure why this was a trend, but it's just the way it's shaken out in the last couple of years. And so this year, I think with the, the different kind of schedule, right, you're playing more teams back to back. I think it's it's giving them a more fair shake to, you know, show who they are and get confidence and not have to go on a big late season run to either make the playoffs or, you know, solidify their seed. And so I'm, I think that bodes well for them because they're getting to play more balanced opponents early in the season and they're producing at an even higher level, which to me pretends that they, they might have a ceiling that, that could challenge the trailblazers as the small market, you know, uh, underdog that everyone loves to root for in, in the Western conference. Yeah. Another guy who's had a little bit of a coming out party over the last week that it seems like public dialogue's forgotten about him, but he's been very quietly making significant strides under Nick Nurse, and that is OG Ananubi, right? In Kyle Lowry's absence, put up 21 points against the Heat in a victory, put up 30 points and uh, took over in the fourth quarter for a victory against the Pacers. And only 10 points tonight and a loss to those same Indiana Pacers. But Ananubi, beyond carving out a role for himself as a power forward, small ball center for this team, continuously taking on tough defensive assignments, if he is able to develop as an offensive presence late in games, maybe not at a super high level, but he could really take pressure off of Siakam, Lowry, and Van Vliet to create a little bit more of that egalitarian offensive threats that has been missing from the Raptors this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping that he he's able to at least sustain some percentage of this because otherwise the Raptors being bad have made my preseason contender pick of, of that uh, team from up north uh, currently operating, uh, occupying Tampa Bay look very, very, very bad and very, very dumb. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see him put together some stuff, realize, you know, he's got so much potential and it, it's just a testament to uh, Toronto and their, their staff up there, because I think we've seen this over and over and over again with guys, you know, who didn't have expectations in terms of what they could do on offense, come into the league, you know, earn their keep as, as three and D guys, and then slowly build upon what they're able to do and become menaces on, on both ends of the floor. And so it's, it's just fun to watch him play basketball and, and rack up these box score numbers. Yeah. Uh, another, another guy who's been comically showing up on, on Twitter feeds and highlight reels this, this week has been point God JaVale McGee. Yes, yes, yes. I, I so I, if you'll let me uh, go off for a minute, I don't know if this is a player gasm or not. Um, but I, I, I unabashedly love JaVale McGee. You know, he was a, a treasured member of the Warriors um, for a couple of years. Just just incredible athleticism out of a, a seven-foot tall guy, you know, incredibly springy. But I, I love him more because of his personality and because of what he's gone through in this league, right? Like, I, I frankly believe he was bullied by one Shaquille O'Neal. And I, I think it was really unfair the way that everyone, you know, turned on JaVale's reputation and... and 
thought that he was not a smart individual, was not a smart basketball player because he was trying to do too much and because he made some mistakes that, that were comical and, and played for laughs, you know? And so I'm, I'm just really excited for people to see a guy that who I thought, you know, worked incredibly hard was so, so well liked by his teammates everywhere he's been, you know, and is, is a funny and very thoughtful guy off, off the court from, you know, following his social media and his career in music. I believe he's been, nominated um, for a Grammy as in terms of a, a record that he produced. So it was really, really fun to see him, you know, go into his bag and pull out some some handles because he he has, you know, that ability to pull that off once in a blue moon. And it's so much fun when he when he is able to bring it down because he's one of my favorite dunkers to watch every time. Right. Like he he gets he gets up there and he goes down with authority. And I just I feel so happy for the guy. Um, and maybe this is actually a chance, you know, unless you have anything else you want to say about Javel, to just briefly mention Shaq and his, uh, you know, war with a guy that you talked about earlier, Donovan Mitchell, and, and just being a cranky, uh, kind of cantankerous and contrarian um, on Inside the NBA. Do you have any thoughts on Shaq's kind of like current place in, in basketball and, and the character, I think, that he's, he's playing on, on that show? I'm so over inside the NBA, man. They, they've officially reached Stephen A. Smith first take levels for me, where they're not getting paid for actual analysis. They're getting paid to show up on Twitter feeds and on YouTube videos saying dumb ass shit. Right? Yeah, it's unequivocal. Yeah. The, fact, the fact that they, have a, they are some of the most prominent analysts of basketball on TV, in the in the world today, right? Shaq and Chuck. So the fact that Shaq is just being like like you mentioned, being mean to Javale McGee earlier, being mean to Donovan Mitchell. The fact that Shaq didn't know Rudy Gobert. Yeah, he didn't know who Christian Wood was until he his TNT uh, booth was covering a Rockets game, right? And the fact that Charles Barkley, they play a game with Charles Barkley where he has to guess what what team certain players play for and he never gets it right. Like, that's not funny at, at, at a certain point, right? Like, maybe once in a blue moon, but doing that with regularity, Shaq and Chuck are playing legends. But they're not announcing legends, right? They're getting by on their name. And it's, it's, it's frankly just, for me, embarrassing for them to watch them continue to do whatever it is they're doing when a guy like Draymond Green can show up on Inside the NBA, call them on their BS, and actually provide some basketball commentary. As a basketball fan, I don't need more memes. I, I, I'd love to see some basketball content. Sure. I mean, for me, like, my dad and I bonded a ton watching inside the NBA in like 2015, 2016, you know, after games, like they, they are legitimately very funny individuals. And I, I, I just wish they, they could find a way to make that humor um, come through without like either pretending to be basketball analysts or at least being bad at their job. Because, you know, I think the chemistry and the, the ambiance of that show, I love Ernie Johnson and whatnot. I, I really, I do, you know, value them as entertainers but I, I think you make a great point, right? Like they're getting paid at this point to, to do things that are, that are frankly mean spirited or just ignorant. And 
So I would love for them to, you know, pick a, pick a lane, right? Is, are you going to be a serious basketball show? Are you going to be a, you know, a, a show based on your personality, but, you know, don't make it a hot take show because we have too much of that. And, and yeah, like you said, frankly, I'm over it now to, to pivot away from negativity. Um, I do have one thing I want to mention uh, for the minutia minute, if you'll permit me, Nolan. Give it to me. All right. So earlier tonight, uh, I, I my Twitter timeline was blowing up with mentions of the Brooklyn Nets and the Miami Heat game, and so this is something that was very interesting to me. And I figured, you know, it'd be good good research for the pod tonight. So I tuned in, and I was delighted to be treated uh, to the sounds of Ian Eagle and Sarah Kustak, who have you have already you know shouted out um, earlier in our podcast. But I, I just, I love the way that Ian Eagle announces games. Um, and I also want to shout out Eric Reed, who's the announcer for the Heat, because if I had somehow managed to find a different stream to that game, I would have also been overjoyed because I think those are two of the best team level play-by-play guys in the game. They they have appropriate, you know, uh, excitement, appropriate like sense of the moment. They are able to, you know, offer insight and, and do so in a, in a positive manner. So I just love those guys and I'm grateful that they make the NBA a, a great place to listen to. Now, the Brooklyn Nets, though, I do have an issue with them. Their their gray court is some of the ugliest shit I have ever seen. And it it confounds me why they continue to, to do this, even though everyone that I know tells them it looks awful. It makes the game look like it's being played in black and white. And I, I just don't understand. I personally like gray uniforms. I think they look they look different and they, they look clean. But the court being gray is such a weird um, weird vibe, kind of kind of uh, reminiscent of Wandavision, this uh, new show that's happening. That I just it makes me question my reality, and I I hate it, and I hate it so much, and I wish they would do away with it tomorrow or yesterday. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah, I I. It was the Bucks versus Nets last week where both teams were just wearing black and white jerseys and people were saying, I honestly can't tell if the game is in black and white or not, you know, like, like the jerseys, the court, like even the ball felt muted, you know, so <laughs> yeah, ridiculous. I, I, my philosophy about this is the NBA is an entertainment product and it's, it's an aesthetic product, right? Like you tune in to listen and you turn in to watch and see something that's pleasing to the eye. And that's why know jersey design and court design and stuff matters and it's just a shame that a team that's basically the 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 magnet for eyeballs in in the league you know like the draw for attention right now has has stepped astray because they're they're uh tributes to uh biggie you know in their their old war uh uniforms but they're like the multicolored lining i thought were fantastic and some of that design sensibility has has clearly gone out the window, which which is a shame in my opinion. Yeah. All right. Great minutia minute, Riley. Uh, we're we'll sorry it stretched in, on. Yeah, we'll be back in in just a second here with uh, our guest and our main topic for the pod today. All right, we are here today with my cousin. Resident Warriors fan, Zach Hernandez. Zach, what's happening, man? How's it going, guys? Stoked to be here. This is going to be so sick. 
Yeah, we, we're very happy to have you here as well. Our second official guest on the podcast and our first guest who is a Warriors fan, which I'm sure is going to make Riley very excited because normally we have to calm him down and make sure he doesn't talk about the Warriors too much. But today, Zach, you're giving him an excuse to talk about his team. I appreciate that, Zach. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Uh, I also want to say to Vance Gregg, you might want to just turn this episode off right now and, uh, you know, save your fury and your uh, hatred for, uh, for another day because it's just, it's, it's going uh, to get deep. Yes. Spoiler alert. This podcast will be largely centered around the Golden State Warriors. However, as always, we will do our best to discuss exactly how our content of the day affects the league at large, okay? So before we get there though, Zach, tell, tell us a little bit about yourself, about your, your story as a basketball fan. T- tell us, man. All right. Um, I've been a huge basketball fan ever since, honestly, I probably started being a bigger basketball fan around fifth grade, I remember, or fourth, third, fourth, fifth grade, I started to get into it more once I started to shift away from baseball. Still love baseball. But, um, and, you know, I'm a diehard Warrior fan, but I'm also just a fan of the game. You know, great players, great teams. It's fun to see them. Um, I just love to see it. It's basketball's an art, man. You know, it's like poetry in motion and it's so great to see. So, um, totally diehard Warrior fan. We'll root for them till the day I die. But, like I said, love to see the game, and I love talking about all sorts of teams. And, uh, yeah, so I'm excited to get into this, man. I'm so yeah, pumped. Very beautifully put, poetic. I love it. Yeah. Now, <laughs> there was some big news in Dub Nation tonight uh, where uh, a topic on uh, Warriors Twitter, so I've been told, and a topic in uh, some other corners of the basketball universe has been – what is Steve Kerr doing with his rotations, with his lineups, right? And so today was the first official big change on Steve Kerr's part, even just coming a week after saying that he wasn't planning on making any changes. And that change was James Wiseman to the bench and Kevon Looney into the starting lineup. Now the game is going on right now. So we don't have the official uh, final results on how this works is going to work out. But uh, Zach, what was your instant reaction when you heard that Wiseman was coming out of the lineup and uh, Looney was going in? Um, I'm not going to say I was shocked that if he made a lineup change, that's what it was. Um, I, But I'm not sure if, at least for me, I'm not sure if Wiseman was – the guy I would have personally taken out, <laughs> but um, I think, I mean, we're looking good right now. I got it on over here. We're looking really good. Um, but like I said, we're playing the Timberwolves, which I don't know how, you know, they're not very good. So, uh, but yeah, my initial reaction was just, I think it was time for a change and he made a change. And, you know, sometimes one little thing's got to be adjusted no matter what it is. And that could really fix something. So. Riley, what about you? Sure. Um, yeah, no, I, I am, I'm pleasantly surprised that he, that he made the change. And I actually, 
I'm a fan of it, you know, as, as much as I'd love for, oh, Looney with the, the massive dunk right there, as much as I was uh, a fan of Wiseman getting development, you know, and playing against the best players, because I think that's really the only way you learn, especially in this, in this game, but, but anyway, right, it's like experience. Um, I think for, for the team, the needs of the team and, and for winning right now, it totally made sense because I saw some data on, online today that, that talked about all the possible lineup combinations. And, and basically the takeaway was that Wiseman's just not very good at basketball right now, which is totally understandable, right? He's, he didn't play in college besides three games. He, it's been over a year, you know, since he was playing competitively and he's 19 years old and, and he's got amazing athletic gifts, but he doesn't uh, clearly, you know, it was, we can see in his rebounding and his hands doesn't have the the ability to put it all together um, at this moment. So in terms of impacting the Warriors in a positive way, uh, I think Looney is definitely the better player at this moment. So to, to prioritize winning, um, that's that's where the question really lies. And so I'd like to, you know, before we go any further, to give a little bit of background on this issue um, for people who aren't maybe as plugged in to, to Warriors land and whatnot. Um, because I think it comes as a surprise for some people to hear that a huge swath of Warriors fans, uh, Zach, it, it sounds like included, doesn't particularly care for the way that Steve Kerr coaches um, and, and thinks that he he's pretty flawed. Um, some of the, the most uh, popular and, and vocal people on Warriors Twitter have this, have, have this take and, and that's all they talk about, it feels like, um, for those of us you know, who might be a little bit more moderate. Um, on the issue. So that's just, you know, some behind the scenes. There's, to me at least, and then Zach, I'm curious, you know, where your opinion about this changed from, but it, it comes back to 2016, you know, playing Anderson Berjao in game seven of the NBA Finals, Festus Azili, that pissed a lot of people off and people hold Kerr responsible for losing uh, that, that, that finals and, you know, the 3-1 comeback. And then in general, he, he doesn't operate a system that puts Steph Curry at the focal point with the ball in his hands all the time right like it's this is not the houston rockets or any of the heliocentric offenses that we talked about in previous episodes you know steve kerr's philosophy about basketball is strength in numbers he thinks that it's very important for role players to to get touches to get on offense you know even if they're not going to take shots he still wants them to pass the ball handle the ball set screen and move because he believes that this leads to buy-in and effort on defense and so people who are, who are Steph fans, which is most of Warriors fans, get frustrated when it's not a bunch of high pick and rolls for Steph, when Steph's not taking as many shots as he could be and whatnot. So that's a part of the argument that I, that I understand and that I buy. Um, so I, I, again, Zach, you know, where, where did your opinion on, on Kerr change and what do you think of him overall as a coach? Well, me and my dad actually talk about this a lot. I totally agree with everything you said. Uh, me and my dad talk about this a lot. And back when the Warriors had, you know, Durant, Clay was healthy, that team, there was so much talent on that team where honestly, any of us could have coached them to a championship, right? Let's be real. I mean, that team is ridiculously good. Um, you still give him a little credit, obviously, but now he's got a team to work with. He doesn't got Durant and Clay Thompson's not in right now. Um, so he's got to do something and he's, this is his time to really, you know, show us how great of a coach he is. Um, and I totally agree with what you said about how his offense seems like there's times where Steph isn't the focal point of it. And there's times where Steph won't even take a shot till, you know, I don't know, three minutes left in the first quarter. Now I know these teams are throwing these crazy defensive schemes at him, but this is his job 
you got Steph Curry, a top five player in the NBA, the best shooter of all time in your offense, you, you utilize that, right? You got to make this guy the focal point of your offense. And also a point you brought up about how it seems like there's a lot of role players. He likes to get touches. I, I think he needs to realize sometimes, you know, this is not CYO basketball. Not everyone needs to play. This is a, you got to win games here. You need to win games. And um, there are times where he's throwing guys out there that are like, I'm like, really? You really think this is who you want? I remember we were playing. I to- I don't remember who it was, but he had a lineup of Wanamaker and um, who else was out there? A couple guys that didn't deserve to be out there when this is when we needed Steph, we needed Draymond, and they weren't even in the game. And these are questionable calls I see him make, you know, from time to time, which really make me question him as a coach. So, sure. I, and I, yeah. I know for to... one that, that I, I've, I've received a few angry texts from Zach while we've been watching Warriors games and being like, bro, what is Kerr doing right now? I personally, I tend to, to give him a little bit more of a benefit of the doubt, um, you know, I think versus a lot of the, the people who, you know, come down the side of, Hashtag fire Kerr or whatnot. Um, not saying that that's where you're at, Zach, but for me, right, it's like he, he has won three championships and one of those, two of those seasons, you know, if, even when they didn't win, but they won 73 games, those happened without KD, right? Like those happened relying on the strength of role players, they're relying on veterans, relying on IQ. And so for me, you know, like I, I believe in his philosophy, right, that it it's important for a guy to get touches in the regular season even if it doesn't help you win now, because who knows what's going to happen in the playoffs, right? Like there might be a situation where someone's hurt and you need a, a Jordan Poole or a Marquis Chris, or, you know, in yesteryear, uh, uh, Mo Spates to come in, uh, James Michael McAdoo to come in and like play some spot minutes. And I, I understand where he's coming from, right. And wanting them to be prepared and, and ready and having at least some like high leverage experience so that, if you know they're called upon in the brighter moments, right? They're not fishes out of water. Where it gets, you know, to the part that I that I I understand and I sort of agree with is he is a very stubborn man. He's a very very stubborn man. You know, he believes what he believes, and it's gonna force. It's gonna take you know something forcing him basically to try try new strategies. You know, that is out of his hands. And so that's that's the part that I think is is frustrating, and, and that I that I understand everyone's you know frustration is. He, he's going to stick with the plan that he's, he's come with the starting lineup that he's come with. And this most recent example, right. The rotations, you know, Steph, Steph has played the first quarter and then come back in at about the six minute mark for the last seven, seven or so years. Right. Like that's, that's just the, the way it's done basically in, in golden state. And so that's uh you know, a question is can, can Kerr adjust and is, is he right to be stubborn? Has he earned the right to be stubborn? I'm not an expert enough to say, but I think it's a fair question. And something that's important to remember is that Steve Kerr, as a coach, really like grew up at the shrine of Phil Jackson, right? His first years and most successful years as a player in the league were playing for Phil Jackson, who has famously stuck to his triangle principles above all else. Right. As always, he's had Phil Jackson has his way of running his team. It's the Zen master. It's the triangle. And you can either get on board or you can take a back seat or get shipped off by the by the bus family or whoever it ends up being. 
So that's, that's an important thing to remember about where Steve Kerr comes from as a coach and um, whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, it can be discussed. But here's my, my question to you guys is we know that right now this Warriors team that we're looking at is a step or two steps or three steps down from the Warriors dynasty that we got to watch throughout most of this decade. So we've got Zach talking about this team has to win games, right? If they don't win games, the West is stacked. And if they're giving up games for the sake of development, then that drops them down in the playoff standings or maybe even drops them out of the playoffs altogether if there's a, a fluky play-in tournament event, right? But on the other hand, because this team is not the dynasty, is not eight guys deep, eight stud, stud players deep, there needs to be some of that development where you get guys like Wiseman, Wiggins, Oubre, but also some of those uh, more role players like Damian Lee and Brad Wanamaker, you get them in those positions. So with the Warriors right now, not being the dynasty uh, that we're accustomed to seeing, what's more important for them right now? Is it the wins? Is it building wins and experience that way? Or is it experimentation? Um, that's a good question. That's a good one. Um, I think it's totally a little bit of both. Now, when you, when, um, when Riley brought up how, um, back then we used to, you know, like you said, we ran on those role players. Our bench was elite. We had one of the best benches in the league back in, you know, 2015, 2016. Um, this team now from this team we have now back. And then we had 2016, 2017, this team is different. Just like Nolan said, um, we need to, it's different if we play these role players in the end now, because now our team is not at the top and we could afford to lose some games to experiment. Now it's like, like now it comes down to Nolan's question. Is it worth it to experiment with these guys or is it, do we got to win games and keep the big guys in there? You know, Steph, Draymond and all them. And I think, you know, it's just, it's a little bit of both. And you got to, at somewhere you got to find the middle because Wiseman is 19 years old and Wiseman is only getting better. And you, you got to give this guy his minutes. You got to give Wanamaker's minutes. You got to get these guys comfortable in this system, but you also got to win games now. And towards the end of these games, you got to put guys like Steph in. Um, and you got to put the big guys in at the end. And I feel like, you know, we got, I'm more focused on the making the postseason, making the playoffs. Um, and I think doing that is a big part of helping all these guys grow and helping like experiment with these guys. Um, so like I said, it's a little bit of both. And I think you can do a little bit of both. You can find the middle. Um, so I think that's what Steve Kerr has got to do, but yeah, I'm, I'm focused on winning games. Now we got to win games and, by doing that, making the playoffs, I think we can help with the experimentation with the young guys and the other the role players. Yeah, I I think that's a really good good point. Is that like you know playoff experience is so so valuable and, and irreplaceable, right? Like there's no 
regular season minutes that that really ever come close to that pressure. The you know, as I was watching the game tonight, they were talking about the the idea of playing the same team back to back to back. You know, we're seeing that a little bit more this season. Um, whereas before, right, you, you change opponents every day and there's not a ton of game playing, there's not a ton of adjusting. So I think exposure to a playoff atmosphere and, and uh, the strategy and the chess match of the playoffs is, is a really good point. I'm, I'm going to read uh, Steve Kerr's quote um, that, that really set all of this off because I think it's some good context. So this is a quote from the other day. And Steve said, the team is learning on the fly. I'll be very honest. If I had to win a game tomorrow, I wouldn't start that group. If this was one, a one-time thing, I would start a different group and probably get some different combinations. But this is the team that I want to see develop a really good defensive identity. And James needs to be out there. Kelly and Andrew need to be get together on the wings guarding, you know, LeBron and Kawhi and Paul George and all those guys. So it's going to take some time. And in the meantime, there are going to be some growing pains. But I'm okay with it because for us to be great down the road, whether it's by the end of the year or even next season, James has to develop and Kelly and Andrew have to get comfortable. And I'm willing to sacrifice some things here early in the season to get where we want to be later on. And so I think that to me is, is something that speaks to me because fundamentally I kind of agree with Kerr and that I do not think the Warriors can compete for a title this year. Um, and so I think, you know, that's where I see differences of the opinion on Twitter and whatnot is, you know, my evaluation of this team's ceiling versus other people's, I think is, is different. And so that's where I'm, I'm coming from, right? It's like, I, I, as much as I do value playoff, you know, wins. I, I tend to agree with Kerr that I think, you know, next year is really what ends up mattering when you have Clayback, when you've got all these guys kind of peaking, right? Like that's the, the real title contention window. And so from my like very personal perspective, I am totally okay with them prioritizing wins next year and prioritizing, you know, the, the chemistry and the experience of, of guys right now, even if it doesn't lead to wins, because I, I think Fundamentally with this team, you know, the talent that is still here and Steph and Draymond and, and Wiseman, and then like they have some quality backups, right? Like I think they should make the playoffs no matter what, right? Like I, I would, I would consider that a failure. And so I, I kind of am counting on them at least making the playoffs and being able to get a little bit of that experience. And I think then to me, that's why standings don't really matter as much, right? Like so long as they're in, uh, then I think it's all a wash. And, and under that assumption, then I would, you know, uh, lean towards prioritizing growth and development and chemistry and whatnot. So I don't know, Zach, if you think they, they have a shot at contending and, and how that kind of plays into your, your role. And, and maybe that makes me a little bit of a fatalist, right? That like, Oh, if we're not going to win a title, then it doesn't even matter. But I, for me, it's coming down to the fact that I think they can win next year. I think that that's a real opportunity. And so I'm, I'm invested in, in, you know, the ceiling of this team and not necessarily like the middle of, of their outcomes. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I totally get everything you're saying. I've always been a guy when watching my favorite teams, you know, whatever sport who I've always wanted to see. Um, I was never a fan of tanking as, and obviously the words aren't tanking, but um, I've never been a fan of anything like that. Um, rooting for them to lose. And I know obviously you're not rooting for them to lose, but um, I see it as, this team has a way better shot to win a title next year. And I totally see how you think, um, you know, developing the, uh, developing the guys this year will totally help them next year. And that makes sense. Um, I think that this team seeing them, how they've, how they played against the Lakers, obviously that's one game against the Lakers in a seven game series. I don't think the Warriors could win, but that team that we saw that night towards the end could make some playoff teams 
could, you know, toughen them up a little bit. And um, that's what I like to see. I think this team, their ceiling, their absolute ceiling is a second round exit. But uh, I guess you never know, because like seeing, like I said, that that Laker night and get, uh, especially against the Spurs, um, they that team looked really good. That looked like a great basketball team, a team that could, you know, mess up some playoff teams, some good playoff teams. So um, I see what you're saying. Totally, though. I totally get it. I want to push back a little bit here against I'm surprised two two Warriors fans who everyone likes to accuse of uh, having two big visions of their teams. I, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to push back a little bit in the sense that Steph Curry is on your team and he's in his prime and he is one of the most fun basketball players I have ever watched play basketball in my entire life. One of, he's one of the top five players in the league right now, arguably a, a top 20, top 25 player of all time. And he only can go up, right, on that ranking. He's not dropping down that ranking of all-time greats. He can only go up. Now, treating this year as a developmental year, Obviously, it's all about development. Every team every year wants to see development. But you have Steph Curry and Draymond Green in their prime. You have beaten the Clippers, you, and you have beaten the Lakers, the two best teams in the NBA, right? So can't it, do you really feel good about maybe the, the – treating this as a, a throwaway year of Steph Curry's prime of Draymond Green's prime, a, a, a once in a, a once in a generation superstar and one of the best basketball minds of all time. They do have a better chance of winning next year, but like, do you, do you want to, do you want to have the chance of that thrown away or do you want to see if you can't ride Steph Curry's hot shooting and the development of Wiseman and Oubre to four games over, over the Lakers and get out of this Western conference? Sure. I mean, I, I think that's what I was trying to say earlier, right? It's like, I expect them to still make the playoffs. You know, as, as much as we talk about how vaunted the West is and whatnot, we're seeing, you know, the Timberwolves, we're seeing the Rockets, like a lot of these teams kind of be not that good. Um, and so I, if they weren't to make the playoffs, that would be a throwaway year and that would be kind of unacceptable and kind of just out of the blue, I think, right? So all of this conversation, I am kind of couching with the, the expectation that I think they should get into the playoffs and, and have a, at least a decent run. Um, but yeah, it's a good, it's a good point, right? Like if we really truly believe Steph is the guy, um, then, then we should be trying to maximize this. And so I, I guess I, I come back to Kerr's point, right? He's like, he's still not even thinking about next year. He's thinking about the end of this year. And I, I agree with him, right. That for this team to succeed in its current iteration, even without clay, they have to get their best five players playing well together, uh, because otherwise, you know, you're just hampering yourself. You've got, uh, a very, very expensive guy in Kelly Oubre sitting on the bench if he turns out to really be a bum, which I don't think is entirely true. But I, so I, I think it, it's about maximizing those best players. And so I'm willing for them to, you know, to ride through it because I, I expect it to lead to a better outcome at the end of the season and a better chance to compete in these playoffs. So the four highest ceiling guys on the Warriors, the four guys who are going to be playing in crunch time, no matter what, are Steph, Draymond, Kelly Oubre and Andrew Wiggins. These are the guys getting lots of minutes. And we're talking about developing for the future and maximizing for today. So is Wiseman in the starting five? 
the best move for finding that middle ground we talked about? Or is Looney in the starting five the best move that we've talked about? Personally, I personally I think Wiseman's the better move. Um, like we, I think Riley said earlier, Looney as right now might be the better basketball player. Um, but I think getting Wiseman in there in those times, in the with those guys out there playing against the big guys is the only is the best way for him to really develop his game and develop, you know, his, and get his experience up there. And I think, um, I think him out there over Looney is, that's what I would go with. I think, and I think that kind of finds more of a middle ground than Looney. And I think Looney's Looney's valuable piece um, off the bench. Um, But that's where I would go with that. Yeah, I mean, I so I hear some interesting points about that, like Wiseman should start and the real switch should be Oubre on the bench for someone who shoots the ball better and, and brings a lot more spacing because that I would... guy Damian you know, Lee, get him yes, more exactly. minutes. He would, uh, that would probably, you know, that, that'd create a better environment for Wiseman to develop. I'm, I'm also of the mind, though, that like, you know, some of the best development too comes from, you know, getting a chance to, to show out um right you know build the confidence because it, it, at least what i've observed you know wiseman seems like a, a guy who's very much in his own head in a, in a good way right he, like he cares he really gets frustrated with himself when he doesn't make the right play which i think it's a sign you know that he wants to be really good um but i also think you know for a guy who who is very very sensitive to you know the perception of him as a, as a number two overall pick and then he's on this team with a bunch of stars and he's projected to be their, their, their future. Right. I, I think it might be helpful for him to actually end up playing uh, against bench units and dominating the, uh, the Ennis Cantors and the, you know, Ed Davises and the, the, the backup centers of this league who are, are a little bit less of a challenge that he should be able to have more success against, because right now, you know, he's not having a ton of success against anyone. So if there's, there's a way for him to build up um, that's, that's another positive I see of him on the the bench. The other, the, the, the question though too, is then, you know, how much does it benefit someone to, to get like good opportunities or to, you know, to take their licks and really get beat up playing against the best players? Like what, what do you learn more from? And that's a question I can't answer. Um, but I think will be fascinating to see, you know, with this, with this change, you know, to Looney on the, in the starting five, does Wiseman to develop plateau or does this actually help him take off? I'm very, very curious to see what the outcome ends up being. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a great point. Which one? Which one will help his develop more? And I can't wait to see, man. That's a great point. Nolan, do you have do you have a take on that? What do you what do you think is is more important to maximize, right? Like yeah, someone's so, success or, or their learning. Totally. So I I played sports. Now, I, I, I say that as kind of a joke because I, I know uh, Ryan Rosillo and Bill Simmons will always like be like, well, Bill, you played basketball. Now, I, I, did, I did play sports, not at the NBA level, so it's not a perfect comparison, but there are benefits from, to, there are undoubtedly benefits to playing up a skill level, to playing up, to playing with the guys who are better and to take those licks and learn from the guys in sort of a trial by fire environment, but that never becomes useful if you don't ever play at your skill level. 
right? If you're busy getting your ass kicked that all the time, then all you're ever going to really internalize is getting your ass kicked. And it's going to take some in really insane, like internal will and off season work to turn that into benefits, right? So what I'm hoping Steve Kerr is doing right now, and if he does this, I think, and does it successfully, I think the whole fire Kerr narrative should be uh, put in the garbage forever. And anyone who puts hashtag fire Kerr on Twitter needs to just get their uh, Twitter privileges revoked for a little bit. If it comes out this way, right? If it comes out with Wiseman has begun this season playing against the best teams and the best players in the NBA and getting uh, coached up by Draymond as Bleacher Report so very much loves to, to put on all their information. Uh, but that's only going to be useful if he can then take what he's learning from Draymond and go apply it in a little bit more of a stress-free environment. So I think after getting this trial by fire for himself, if Kerr moving him to the bench ends up allowing him to apply those things against the Enos Cantor and Ed Davis types of the world, then he can bounce back and forth between the starting lineup and the bench, right? I know that's not always customary to do, but on a team with a culture put in place by Draymond and Steph and Steve Kerr and all the way up, I think bouncing back and forth in that way could be huge for James Wiseman's development. And like so many things, it doesn't have to be binary, right? Wiseman must be a starter. Wiseman must be on the bench. And just because he's a, a on the bench doesn't mean he can't close games. Doesn't mean he can't get a ton of minutes with Draymond, right? So I think if, if Kerr's playing this in terms of a practice round as opposed to a demotion, I think that's some big brain shit right there. I like that take a lot. And so, you know, to transition this to a little bit more of a broad conversation, I kind of, I want to ask both of you guys, right? Like where is the cutoff in a team's success that makes it more important for them to like prioritize being ready for the playoffs and, and, you know, winning uh, then in, in March and June versus, you know, like we've got to win as many, games as we possibly do now right like obviously there's you know the Clippers last year the Lakers this year you know there's all these teams that that feel like you know it doesn't doesn't really matter because we'll be we'll be good enough to get to the playoffs and then we can turn it on and the Cavs of, of yesteryear with LeBron right they would they would quote unquote flip the switch where do you or where do you think teams should draw that line like what place in the standings what level of you know how many superstars is there a, is there a criteria you think that that makes you know, that decision, uh, you know, easier or, or what? I feel like it's kind of difficult to draw an exact line where that's at. Um, I feel like it comes down to if you have a team, I guess that's the coach. If you have a team that, you know, you you got a solid team, but you're not going to compete for a, uh, for a title, I think it kind of, that's when you have room to do, to experiment and to try and develop with your guys. Um, it's hard to draw an exact line, how many superstars or whatever, but um, I feel like you kind of, as a coach, if you're talking about a coach's standpoint, as a coach, um, you, you can kind of have a sense, like, you know, you, you, uh, 
these guys may not be ready for the title. So this is a year that we can kind of not take off, but take as a year to learn and grow together and get ready for next year. So it kind of comes down to a team that's solid, not solid enough is where I would try and draw a line at, you know, if we're, if I'm drawing a line somewhere. <laughs> sure. So then how do we balance that though, with the idea of like, Oh, it's Steph Curry's prime. Cause I, I would say that's a perfect description of this Warriors team. Right. So yeah. by that logic, they should be totally down to, to experiment. Yeah, that's true. And it, 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 the Warriors are in a tough situation right now with someone like, and that's where Clay's injury really hurts a lot. Um, um, the Warriors are in a tough situation with Steph's prime in his prime clay two years uh, off of his prime, not being able to play Draymond in his prime. This, this team is not getting any younger unless now we got guys like Wiseman, which is good for the future, but um, it is tough. They are in a tough spot. And that's kind of where I, this, that's, I'm great. I'm glad Nolan brought that up about um, Steph's uh, this is Steph's prime earlier um i that's where i kind of see it as this is a team that needs to win because we got guys that can win the warriors have guys that are good enough to not win a title maybe but um win a good amount of games and compete with some of the uh compete with some of the big guys so that's where i think the warriors uh i think they do i think putting wiseman in the lineup does help win more i think that's what i would do um to win games and to get this team to the playoffs and that's what i would try to do is to get this team to the playoffs because like i said earlier i also think that does help with the development um but yeah that's where i'm at with it those are some great points zach and to sort to sort of build off that a little bit and uh connect it to some of those teams that riley mentioned like the clippers last year and the lebron Cavs uh part two right I don't believe in flip switching. Okay? I don't believe in it as a, a good strategy to use at all, right? And the one potential counter to that is having LeBron James on your team, right? Now, LeBron James is on the NBA Mount Rushmore of all-time greats. Steph is a level below that, but Steph is special, man. And so that's why I why I don't, love the idea of uh, the Warriors coasting in the name of development and a playoff appearance and a second round exit. I think they should be going balls out trying to win another championship, you know, because what does that do for the Warriors dynasty? What does that do for Steph's legacy? If he can do it without Clay and KD, you know, a little bit more shorthanded, like driving that team towards towards greatness. And an, an interesting fact that I saw the other day uh, is that every time LeBron has had a, a team that is in the top 10 defensive rating, he's won a championship. Every time his team has not been in the top 10 defensive rating in the regular season, he has not won a championship, right? So on those LeBron flip switching years, switch flipping years, like that, that may have ended up backfiring because his team, his team didn't know exactly how to play hard in, in, the, in those moments that matter. It's habits that you build up, right? And to go to, to where, where you were saying, Riley, on where would you draw that line? Where would you draw that line? I think it, for me, 
I, I can draw that line pretty clearly. And I'm going to draw that line with, do you have your core that's going to take you to the championship? Or do you not have the core that's going to take you to the championship? Right? And so two examples of that happening in the league today that are non-Warriors related are the Grizzlies and the Pelicans. The Pelicans have Zion Williamson. They've got uh, one of the potential generational talents. They've also got some role players with tons of promise, right? Jackson Hayes and uh, Nikhil Alexander-Walker. And they've got Brandon Ingram, who's a bona fide all-star. But that core, what they have now is Steven Adams, Eric Bledsoe, Lonzo Ball. That's not the team that's going to take them to the championship. That's not the team that's going to take Zion to the promised land, right? So Stan Van Gundy, as that coach, has been doing what he's been doing, which is preaching defense, preaching effort, and getting those, his guys into the proper mindset of winning, right, before they actually begin that winning attempt in full. Now, the other team that is kind of a counterpoint to that is the Memphis Grizzlies, where they've got their young core. They're, if they're going to win the championship, it's with John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. and Brandon Clark, Xavier Tillman, right? They've got their young core. And Taylor Jenkins is doing everything he can every single day to get his team to work hard and do what they can to win the game, right? And so I know I'm monologuing here a little bit, but that Taylor Jenkins team, they should be going for broke. They should be going for the championship, even though it's not their year. Stan Van Gundy's Pelicans shouldn't be going for that. And I do believe that superstars win championships, which is why I think that Steph being on the Warriors automatically means they should be pushing for like victory. And it's also why I think the Clippers last year were a failure because they kept waiting to flip the switch and then lost to Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray, right? Two good players, but that shouldn't have happened. And it did because they couldn't flip the switch because they didn't know how. They had never done it. So that, that's how I feel about flip switching. Switch flipping. I, I think that's a that's a fantastic answer. Like even better than I was I was hoping to get um, to that question. You know, like do you have the core and going from there? Um, so I, I want to shift the conversation a little bit. Um, you know, just one more Warriors point that I that I'd love to talk about while we have another fan on here. Um, and, and that's really like the motion offense and kind of the, the ideological underpinnings of, of the triangle and all that stuff. And, you know, where do you come down on that, Zach? Because that's something else that I see fans, especially on Twitter, have a, a really strong reaction to and, and get frustrated by, you know, like, do you think that Steph should play more like James Harden? Um, and and how, how do you feel about the way that, that Kerr likes to run his team? By by play like James Harden, do you mean more like run the offense, like more pick and rolls? That's the answer. You know, like er, any time the team is struggling, people on Twitter's answer is more pick and rolls, more pick and rolls. I want pick and rolls, pick and rolls, pick and rolls. Because I don't know, I, I can't like psychoanalyze like why that's the answer, but I think it's something that easy it's easy for fans to like say, right? And it also <laughs> it, it helps juice the stats of your favorite player, right? Because he's either getting assists or shots basically um so yeah that's that's what i mean when i when i say that um i can totally see that um it's kind of tough i think how steve kerr runs his offense and i it's totally what we talked about right in the beginning is how 
Steph at times does not seem like the main source in the offense. And I feel like he should, oh, as long as he's on the floor, like Nolan said, you got Steph Curry on your team, man. And you, uh, you got to let him, let him do his thing. And I think the way Steph needs to play is you, you just got to run it through. You got to run the, you got to run the game through him. Uh, he, you, you get him open. You, I like pick and rolls. I think, you know, him, him at the top and someone coming to screen him. And I think that's great. Um, I just think you got to, not that he's not involved, but you know, like, like you said, run it through him. Cause I think that's a big part. Um, he's the best part, best guy on the team. He's the, you know, top five player in the NBA. And I think you, you got to take advantage of that and uh, run it, run the offense like that, you know? Sure. No, I, I totally understand that. I, I, I tend to be a little bit more, you know, trust in Kerr yeah. um, as, as this podcast has made clear, partly because I think, right, like Steph's off-ball gravity is even, even more impactful than him taking, you know, as much as it's amazing to watch him take shots, mm-hmm. like the amount of layups that he can produce for, for role players, that makes those guys better than they could conceivably be with anyone, maybe save LeBron, right? Like mm-hmm. the ability to get them open shots, I, I think is unparalleled. And so I think that's, that's as much as it's tough to say, you know, like that might be the best way to leverage who Steph is and how he plays into winning, right? Is to, is to balance the threat of him with him actually, you know, like taking, taking the ball and, and doing what he wants with it. Um, I, I mean, I also, I understand that like, you know, Steph and Draymond pick a rolls are the, the thing that has like propelled this team in the, in the final, you know, five minutes of games and, and you know, killed the Rockets. It's killed the Blazers over and over and over again. Um, so I, like, I understand what that that's coming from, but I, I also too think, you know, it gets back to what Nolan and I have talked about on an earlier episode of this podcast, right. Is that, you know, predictability. In, in the form of a bunch of high pick and rolls or in the form of the same play and one guy isoing over and over and over again, it ends up being, you can be schemed against and you can, you can be defended when people know what's going to gonna happen. And that's the benefit of playing a motion offense and playing the triangle and playing a read and react system, right? Is that there's hopefully a little bit of unpredictability. So I, I tend to think that, you know, when this system works, it's the, it's the best if you can do it well. The question then becomes, you know, is this, uh, is this current roster able to, you know, work that system to the point where it becomes better than Steph having the ball in his hands all the time. And that's not a, not a question that I have an answer to, um, you know, if, if it's not that kind of roster, then yeah, I think it's on Steve to, to be more flexible and to, to change the way he plays. But I, I do agree with him that, you know, if all else things being equal, you know, his, his, you know, beautiful basketball and a bunch of passing, can take the team further than if it, it was just Steph with, with the ball and, and pulling up from 30 every time. So Riley, I'm going to push you on that a little bit. Okay. Uh, Cause sort of, sort of off what Zach was saying, I have not watched as much warriors this year as either of you guys have, but when I have watched the warriors, I've noticed positions where Steph is doing his off ball stuff. His gravity is immense. And then Andrew Wiggins, who has the ball in his hand, who's been admirable this year, who's playing really well, which I never thought I would ever be able to say. But Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre kind of pass the ball back and forth on the top while Steph's running around a little bit. And then it results in Wiggins trying to beat his guy one-on-one and putting up a mid-range shot, right? So 
I know that that doesn't happen every single time, and the Warriors are find, beginning to find success in, in lots of different ways with Kerr's preferred offense. But wouldn't wouldn't is so? I, I have I have two I have two things for you. Number one is I'm going to push you. Is this team is this roster a roster that can win that way? That's my question. Sure, sure. Um... I think that's still to be determined because I think, you know, playing that way is hard. It requires a lot of IQ that maybe Oubre doesn't have. I, I tend to think that even, you know, familiarity will allow him specifically because he's the one who's looked most out of sorts and made the most dumbass kind of, you know, being in the spot that Steph's supposed to be. And I'm sure Zach remembers that play against, uh, I can't, uh, I can't name the team, but uh, you know, somebody, he, they were standing on top of each other and it's like, come on, dude. So I, I, I tend to believe that, you know, like with enough experience, anyone can run it sufficiently for, for it to make stuff great. Uh, whether that can happen this year is, is another question. And, and maybe, maybe the answer is no, you know, maybe this roster isn't, isn't um, that way. I, I certainly do think, you know, you just have to give it time too, because you're right. There's, there's a lot of, you know, silliness happening where Steph's, going free or making other people free and the other players on the team besides Raymond aren't, you know, making the right passes. And that's why I think, you know, the, the loss of Marquise Chris and, and then also not playing the guys who are familiar with this system like Looney and Lee, you know, lowers the ceiling of the team. Um, so, you know, to give you a final answer, I still believe in it. Yeah. Um, my skepticism is growing, but I, I'm not willing to write them off yet. Where do you come down, Zach? This team right now, Oh man, it's a tough one. Um, I think we gotta see guys like Ubre really step step up now. I mean, right at the beginning of the season when he was, you know, shooting third whatever it was, 13% from three, I was convinced it was just a short slump. And he's had a couple games that were, you know, better, but he's still, I think he's shooting 20% from three right now. That's can't you can't really have that happening um I, but when if we know who Ubre is i mean we traded gave him a first round pick for a reason i mean kelly Ubre is a solid um solid shooter and he's great defensively this year he's been great defensively too um but you got to see guys live up to their full potential live up to their full skill set and i i think that even then though it comes down to it i just i truly think that steph needs the ball more, not even necessarily just to shoot the ball, but I feel like sometimes I there are lots of plays where I see him not even have the ball in his hands. It's like Steph is a great Steph's a greater facilitator than people I feel like give him credit for. He's not just a shooter, as a lot of people say he is. Um and when I when I say run the offense to him, I mean I guess I mean, you know, let him let him take control, let him find guys, let him shoot when he needs to shoot. And I feel like I feel like that is what I feel like we have a better chance at that because Steph is still top three point guard of all time for a reason, right? This guy is one of the greatest to ever play. And I feel like doing playing this game through him and letting him kind of facilitate the offense is where this team would succeed the most. Now with Steve, what he's, what Steve Kerr's doing now, it's uh, I, I get a little angry. I get a little angry with him sometimes, but, I don't know. I guess he does know more than I do. So I guess we just have to wait and see a little more, but we are what 17 games in and we're, you know, we're 16 games in and we're eight and eight right now. And it seems like 
maybe not. Um, so that's what I think needs to be changed. Cause like I said earlier, there are times where I see Steph go a long time without doing anything because he doesn't get the ball in his hands. So that's what I think. Yeah, no, I, I fully agree with that. I, he, his usage rate just needs to get a little higher. I don't know if they have to switch systems, but I, I totally, totally buy what you're selling. Like he's gotta, he's gotta get more involved. And I think that's a little bit on him too. You know, like we've seen, yeah. I saw play earlier in this game, um, versus the Timberwolves where he had a uh, dude out on an island in an ISO and he like threw the ball to Looney in the post, ran a loop around Looney, gave the ball to Draymond and he got it back off the reload. But I, I would have preferred, you know, for him to just be aggressive and, you know, getting that 2016 mindset of going to take the guy. And so I don't know if that's him just being too comfortable playing this way, um, you know, being too unselfish or whatnot, but I, I, I'm with you. I, I'd like to see him, him take charge a little bit more. And I think it's about finding that balance, right? Yeah, you can't you can't lean all the way one direction or the other. And what you just said about him needing to be more aggressive is where that's a perfect way to put it. I remember during the Laker game, I was looking at the two point guard. You got Steph and Dennis Schroeder. Dennis Schroeder was killing us because he was taking the shots and he was being really aggressive with the ball. And it seemed like Steph wasn't. And that's and like you said, it's partially on him, too. I think Steph needs to be more aggressive with the ball, too. So that was a great way to put that. And part of that can come like with a little bit more flexibility from Kerr, right? Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't have to be the triangle every damn time because a Steph Draymond pick and roll is nasty. The basketball IQ involved in that is incredible. And you can throw in looks with Wiggins on the pick and roll. Now you've got one of the bounciest players in the league going in on that role. Get a high IQ guy like Looney going in get a seven foot tall giraffe Wiseman in there you know you don't like they shouldn't do the Mike D'Antoni James Harden offense because that has a ceiling and that ceiling is not necessarily champion has not yet to been proven to be championship level and so like but just getting it in there a little bit more mixing it in a little bit more getting that aggressiveness in So I, I think we could we could go back and forth on this um, for for the entire night because you know clearly all of us have and, and Zach and I especially have a lot of strong opinions, um, but I, I don't want to take up all your time and, and I I don't want our listeners to to tune out completely because they don't give a crap about the uh, you know the three and five year warriors and and their petty little uh, differences. So. Uh, unless either of you guys, you know, anything you want to plug Zach or any, any final words you want to, you know, get in, in this conversation, I'll let you have the last go. One last thing, shout out to these fire Oakland forever uniforms. I love them. And I tried to get a Steph one. I couldn't execute that, but I I'm going to at some point, but these jerseys are fire and I love looking at the court too. That's <laughs> one thing. <laughs> Hard to agree, uh, hard to agree. I, I, I had changed my mind because I didn't like them at first. I thought they looked cheap. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but they, they've grown on me. And the warm-ups with the, like, the oh. uh, lightning bolt. Oh, my goodness. Those, those are sick. Those are very, very, very nice. Those are sick. But, yeah. Right, I, Nolan, do you? Oh, well, sorry, I was just going to say, appreciate you guys having me on here, man. That was so much fun. Uh, and, you know, talking about basketball and just talking about sports in general is always a good time. So, I appreciate you guys letting me, let me hop on here. Yeah, of course. Uh, no, I heard you started your own podcast. Do you want to mention that to our 10 listeners and get some, yeah, get some potential exposure? For sure. Um, right on. I didn't want to use this for any self-promotion, but if you... No, nah, no, that's but, what it's for. That's, that's why I gave you the platform. Um, it might be. 
me and a couple of my friends, uh, four of my friends, me, Jason, Royce, Patrick, and Josh, we started our own NBA podcast last Saturday called Grab Don't Slap. Uh, we're going to be uploading every Saturday. We're going to be recording every Saturday. Uh, we had a little mix up this last Saturday, but we're going to get back on that. So definitely, you know, we're just talking about day-to-day league activity, trades, trade rumors, anything that's gone on in the past week, good games and all that. So definitely go check that out. And uh, yeah, man, your guys' podcast is great too. I listen, I try to listen every episode whenever it comes out and you guys really know what you're talking about, you know? So thank you. We, we appreciate that. That's, that's very nice of you to say. All right, Nolan, do you have any, any final thoughts before we wrap this up? Yeah, man, Zach, thanks so much for being here, dude. Uh, getting, getting a guest on can really change the dynamic of the show, right? Oftentimes for the better. And this, this one really uh, adding you, really, I think, elevated the conversation by being able to uh, to get those differing perspectives and not have us just rely on Riley's Warriors fed truth, but also get, get, getting that, that extra perspective in there. And it was very well represented. So thanks, man. Much appreciated. Yeah, totally, man. Thank you guys again. That was great. This was great, man. This was awesome. All right. Well, if no one else has anything, uh, I think that's where we're going to wrap it up. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Hockey Assist. It has been our pleasure to bring you supposedly deeper conversations about the NBA. Um, you can look for new episodes dropping every Wednesday morning, and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please, please do not forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review. Um, we love, love getting feedback. It's, it's why, I, at least personally, I love to do this. And so if you want to share that with us in a more formal manner, you can always reach out on, on Twitter, uh, in the comments of our podcast. And if you go on Twitter, try at hockey underscore assist, and we will promise to get back to you. Uh, we hope you enjoy the show, and we cannot wait to bring you any more. So for Nolan Cope, for Zach, I am Riley Gaucher, checking out of episode seven. Have a fantastic day.